Thank you for praying for our missionary of week, Doug and Corrine. Uh, Doug, years ago, introduced me to his sister, and I married her. So uh, here we go. Thank you for praying for them. I, I owe a lot to that guy. And all of those of you joining us online, we welcome you. Truth and freedom. I direct your attention, if you have a Bible, to John 8 and verse 32. For Jesus famously said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth, and truth will free you. Well, we've been celebrating freedom really the last two weeks in, in America. Uh, obviously, today is one of those moments. It's July 4th, and we're thankful for our nation's freedoms. And we especially, we especially uh, use a day like this to say, Lord, thank you for our freedom. It was on July 4th, 1776, that the Second Continental Congress unanimously adopted the Declaration of Independence, announcing the colony's separation from Great Britain. This rep represented uh, freedom from foreign control, it represented freedom from the influence of a monarchy, and it represented freedom from things like taxation without representation. It was the freedom moment. It's interesting that uh, that John Adams, who became our second president, uh, John Adams was considered the voice of independence back then because he was such a powerful orator. And Thomas Jefferson, who became the third later, the third president, he was known as the pen of independence because he was such a great writer and himself wrote the first draft of the, of the Declaration of Independence. Well, it was kind of an ironic fact is that both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died on the same day, and that day was July 4th, exactly 50 years after the Declaration of Independence was signed, 1827. And then our fifth president, James Monroe, he died four years later on July 4th as well. So I just want to say, don't worry. Unless you've been a president of the United States, you have nothing to worry about today. <laughs> It's just July 4th. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But I'm so grateful for then later after the Declaration of Independence, of course, the adoption of a constitution and the freedoms, the freedoms that were enshrined there. I'm so grateful for the freedom of assembly in our nation and the freedom of religion. That means the government will not be coming to your house in the middle of the night tonight and dragging you off to prison because you went to church today. I mean, that will happen in some nations today, but thank God for the freedom we have, and may we never take it for granted. I'm grateful for the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press and the freedom uh, that we have to have our personal, our, our private property protected. I've been in countries that were uh, formerly under Marxism that, that um, you just see that it just impoverished everybody, put power in the hands of a few people, and uh, in some cases led to, the, to genocide as millions of people were murdered. And uh, you, you leave these freedoms and then you take as official policy, there is no God. And that's where nations can go. But I'm, I'm grateful for our, our freedoms in our, in our nation. And then two weeks ago, we, we celebrated another great freedom celebration that that I'm so glad personally was, was made a national federal holiday, and that was Juneteenth. Because on June 19th, 1865, 
slavery finally ended in America. It took a few years still for, for, for all to be worked out, but Juneteenth recognizes June 19th, 1865 is the end of slavery in America. Even though two and a half years earlier, the, the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed by Abraham Lincoln, it took to the end of the Civil War in, in 1865 for that to be finalized. And in Texas, it was finally outlawed, and that meant the end of slavery being legal in America. What a curse, uh, what a darkness, what an evil slavery was, owning people as property, mistreating them, and thank God for that. But it also fascinates me that five years before President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, a businessman in downtown New York in 1857 felt such brokenness in his heart over the spiritual decline in America that he started a prayer meeting in downtown New York and it began to grow and it became the Second Great Awakening. It became known as the Prayer Meeting Revival. And over the next two years, one million people who didn't know Christ found Christ personally. And another one million, get this if this happened today, another one million church members were revived and set on fire for God again. Even, and especially it was strong in the northern states and like Louisville, Kentucky, the press in the newspaper actually said, it is like the Spirit of God is brooding over our city. And, and amazing things happened spiritually. That was the second great awakening in America. And I'm not sure the evil of slavery would have been broken if it hadn't been for people calling out to God and, and that great prayer meeting revival. And uh, so we're grateful. We celebrate Juneteenth as well. Thank God that everybody in our nation is equal and nobody should ever be subjected to it. And we know around the world we still have human trafficking and other forms of human slavery, but, but thank God none of that is illegal in America anymore. And uh, we're grateful. The Declaration of Independence, in fact, said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator, that's God, by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thomas Jefferson wrote those words, even though uh, John Adams opposed slavery, Thomas Jefferson unfortunately owns some slaves, uh, quite a few slaves, and it's a kind of a contradiction in our history, and it was a, an, an issue of inner, there were political and complex psychological things for Jefferson and how he rationalized that, but Jefferson did take us back to Genesis chapter one, the first book of the Bible, and thank God that's what won out in America. All men are created equal. Thank God. So Jesus said, you're going to know truth, and the truth is going to set you free. But, what, but the question before us today is, what kind of freedom was Jesus talking about? And um, um, I don't know if you're into conspiracies. I really hope not. I, I, I don't know if you're really into politics. I personally love politics, but I don't try to show my hand very much because everybody is welcome here to find Jesus. But... Um, I, I, although this list may disappoint you, when Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, he was not talking about constitutional freedoms that we do enjoy. And in this context, he was not talking about political freedoms. They didn't have much under the domination of the Roman Empire. And he wasn't talking about economic freedoms. Uh, there was great economic need. Jesus was always encouraging his people to give to the poor because there was so much poverty. 
and, and, and there wasn't racial freedoms. There was a lot of prejudice and, and systemic injustice. There wasn't racial freedom. This is not actually what Jesus was talking about. Instead, he was talking about a freedom that can truly set you and me free and anybody in our nation in spite of what the surroundings are. And it's that heart-centered, life-transforming freedom. We've been hearing Vice President Kamala Harris talk about the root causes when it comes to our border crisis. Well, Jesus is going to take us to, our root to the root cause of everything that destroys freedom and everything that destroys culture. He's going to take us to the root cause. Because he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So immediately his critics in the next verse push back, and they say, well, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been anybody's slaves. And Jesus responds to them in verse 34, verily I tell you, or truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. And he, the son of God, he's going to make us a part of his family and set us free. And so he says in the next verse, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's going to talk about a freedom that can lead to all the other right things in a culture that should advocate for freedoms. Because he's saying sin is more than just a slip-up or a mistake. He is saying sin is a power. It has an enslaving power that will require you to be set free to get you free from its power. Way back in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve's son, Cain, is about to kill his brother. Not care for his brother, but kill his brother. And God steps in and warns him and says to him, sin, Cain, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You see, sin's more than just something I regret. Sin is a power. It's crouching at the door. Its, it's desire is to have you, but you need to rule over, you need to master it. And of course, the human race has proven incapable of doing that. Eventually, the New Testament will say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul documents for us what happens in nature, nations and cultures when sin has its way. And he writes about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Mark this, he says. There will be terrible times in the last days. We're living in the last days. He said people will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful and unholy. They'll be without love. How would you love to live where there's not much love, where everybody yells and hates at and hates each other? They're without love. He said they're unforgiving. We, we, we don't just let things go. We're slanderous, always tearing each other apart behind our backs, without self-control, addictions of all kinds, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous. And he keeps going. <laughs> Rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And having a form of godliness, a religious veneer, but it has no power 
over sin. That, that's what sin does to a culture. That's what sin will do to your family. That's why we have racists in, in the world. That's why we have murderers in the world. That's why we have people who can't keep their covenants to each other in the world. This, this is what sin does. This is, this, is, this is one of the most vivid paragraphs in the Bible you ever read about how sin erodes the very fabric of a family, of an individual, and of a culture. But here's the good news. Because Jesus said, but you're going to know truth, and that's going to free you from sin. And here's the truth, verse 12 of Colossians chapter 1. He, God, has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. In other words, there's something that God has for us that's going to bring us. Remember he said a slave can't be a part of the family, but the son will set you free. If the son sets you free, he, you will be free indeed because you become a child of God and you become a part of God's family. He's enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to God's people who live in the light. Why? For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. You change citizenships here from the kingdom dominated by sin to the kingdom dominated by Jesus. And here's what Jesus did, who purchased our what? Freedom. And forgave us our sins. No wonder Jesus would say, but you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're going to pray for a national awakening. Right now, we're going through what Ed Stetzer called a cultural, a, a, a cultural catastrophe, a cultural con, kind of a convulsion, he calls it. And uh, every few decades, our country seems to go through that. The last one was probably, especially in 1968, where there was just, I mean, there were riots and violence uh, beyond what we've even seen this past year. And there was the Vietnam War, and and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Jr. was assassinated in 68. And, uh, and, and there was just the civil rights movement, there were just disruptions everywhere, and the counterculture movement, and the hippies, and, and everything was just like, just, 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 it was just boiling in, in our culture. It was a very difficult time. And, and yet, when, when you just would wring your hands, I was only 16 years old at the time, but. I remember just going, what is happening to our nation? I can't believe it. But it was also in 1968 that a pastor of a small four square church, Pastor Chuck Smith, down in Orange County, where years later I would pastor and actually meet him. And he said to one of his kids, I'd like to meet a hippie. He had this conservative, clean little four square church. He said, I want to engage the chaos going on all around me. And that hippie's name was Lonnie Frisbee. And Pastor Chuck led Lonnie to the Lord and something spiritually exploded. And they say close to 20 or 30 million people around the world were saved through the influence of the Jesus people movement. And that, and that goes right back to the time where our culture was just in convulsions. 
And I don't know what you, you think about what's happening in America right now. All I know is what Paul said about the last times. They sound awful like what, where American culture is going and where the entertainment industry is taking us and where the media is taking us. But I, I, I don't want you to give up hope. There is somebody who has set us free from sin. There is somebody who's purchased our freedom. There is somebody who can go to the root cause in America and change people's lives. Hallelujah. So I'd like you to stand with me if you would. Here's our marching orders. So, so, so this is, so, so what do we do? We pray for our nation. We pray for our nation. And we get our, our marching orders in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, Paul writes, that first of all, before you do other things, before other kinds of celebrations or other kinds of responsibilities, that you be a people who pray. That, that prayer, that petitions and prayers and intercession and, and, and do it with thanksgiving. Be grateful for what God has done and what he's made possible for you. And, and that you do this for all people. So we're going to pray for the people in our nation. We're going to pray today for children and families and all kinds of things. And also, he said, pray for kings and for all those in authority that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And I'd like the worship team if they would call. Oh, you're already here, praise God. So we're going to need you in a minute. And then verse 3 and 4, would you read this out loud with me, all together out loud. This is good, out loud with me. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray for your nation so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can propagate and spiritual awakening can come and everyone can come to the knowledge of the truth because Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hallelujah. We just praise him for that right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Your heart is to pour out your spirit in our nation Bring people to the truth of the gospel and, and therefore heal racism and heal broken families and, and, and heal the ills of our day. My God, change our hearts. We say, here we are, Lord. And would you just work by your spirit as first of all, we give this day to calling upon you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.